every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. With Salesforce's world-renowned Dreamforce event right around the corner, we're excited to release a unique three-part mini-series with some of the legends who are responsible for building technology's most famous marketing event. Part one features a roundtable discussion with Craig Swensrud, founder and CEO of Qualified and former CMO of Salesforce, Linda Dunlap, Vice President of Strategic Events at Salesforce, and Dan Darcy, Chief Customer Officer at Qualified and former Senior Vice President of Global Enablement at Salesforce. All three of these guests were front and center alongside Mark Benioff for the early development of Dreamforce, and Linda is currently leading the charge as the conference makes a dramatic shift to a hybrid physical and digital event. On this episode, the Dreamforce All-Star Trio cover the entire history of the legendary event. They share what the first ever Dreamforce felt like, how the team was able to continually raise the bar year after year, how they took inspiration from Disneyland and Metallica, and how a B2B marketing event became the equivalent of a sold-out rock festival. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this extra special interview between Craig Swensrud, Linda Dunlap, Dan Darcy, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and your host. And I am joined for this special episode with three special guests. First off, Linda Dunlap, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ian? It's great to have you on the show. First time coming on the show. So thrilled to have you on today. And we're going to get deep into all the amazing stuff that Salesforce is doing right now for events, for Dreamforce and beyond. Our other two guests, also first timers for the show somehow, uh, a, a pair of ex-Salesforce folks and qualified executives. First, Craig, the CEO of Qualified. How are you, my friend? Awesome, Ian. This is going to be an exciting show. I know. We, we've worked on this show for, for over a year together, and yet it's your first uh, time coming on, and uh, it seems like an appropriate time to be talking fun Dreamforce stories. And Dan... Well, not the newest member of Qualified, but pretty new and super exciting. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Great to have you on the show as well. So today we are going to be talking about the evolution of Dreamforce, this little conference uh, that happens every year in San Francisco, which many of our listeners have either been to at one time and another or have heard about, I am sure. Um, usually it's around 100 to 200 people. They come uh, to San Francisco. It's usually no big thing. And, uh, and it started back in the early 2000s. And we're going to hear a lot of those stories. We're also going to talk about kind of the evolution of Dreamforce over the years, the different steps of that, and then talking a bunch in like, what is Dreamforce going to be today? What is all the cool stuff that Salesforce is working on right now? And Linda's going to share some cool details. So let's get into it. First off, Linda, let's start with you. In terms of early days, what was your very first Dreamforce? My very first Dreamforce was in 2005, and it was the first year that the conference had moved from a hotel to Moscone. So there was a large buzz and excitement because the conference was moving into a different league, and everyone was pretty darn stoked for that. And so, you know, how many people was it back then? It was about 4,000 people that came in and out of the doors during the span of the conference. And at the last in-person uh, Dreamforce, how many, a couple hundred thousand people uh, all over San Francisco? Probably. It definitely feels like that. It definitely feels like a San Francisco takeover during the week of Dreamforce. Uh, Craig, what, what was your first Dreamforce? It was the year before that. And Linda, were you at Salesforce in 2005 for that Dreamforce? 2005 was the first year I joined the company. Linda, Linda probably knows it was not 4,000. She knows the example, I guarantee it, because that's how precise this show <laughs> was, was managed. But hey, the first time that I went there, um, I was not working at Salesforce. And uh, it was 2004, and it was in a hotel. I think it was a Hilton Hotel in San Francisco. 
and there were maybe a thousand people there. Like the expo hall and the keynote and the breakout room was all one big room, and there was about a thousand people there. But yeah, I have a lot of it. I have a lot of memories actually of that day that I was there. It's pretty crazy. Dan, what about you? First Dreamforce. Yeah, my first Dreamforce was uh, 2008, and actually I was an employee of Salesforce, and I had just started on the product marketing team, so I was uh, kind of in the and the behind the scenes factor of all that, and and we were at Moscone, so it was pretty fun. I I can't remember mine. I think that mine was like, I think it was 2014 maybe, and I was on uh, I was on that Expo Pass life, but I had so many friends that worked at, at, at Salesforce that I um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I ended up going to like every single thing, and I just remember you know it was such a it was such a a, a you know in a unbelievable you know again rock concert thing which we'll get to in a little bit that I just remember being like this is the craziest thing. And the company that I was working at, their executive team out. And I remember the looks on their faces at the end of the, the, the week with just like weary, beleaguered, uh, like content, like somebody just ate uh, and drank a big meal, but uh, about 50 times over the course of a week. Yeah, there was a whole strategy that came to actually taking on the Dreamforce week. You had to really bulk up on your emergency and your take get some sleep like you know the entire week before because you don't sleep the entire week at dreamforce so craig you know 2004 you're there did this feel like a thing was this just like was it cool was it interesting was it new like what did it feel like yeah it was cool and interesting and new that was the that was the thing and there wasn't really a super high bar for corporate events like it salesforce created that bar and kept raising the bar every year and so it was actually, even though Salesforce's event, Dreamforce was pretty small in 2004, it totally stood out just by the way the event was produced. So here's what I remember. I remember going into a ballroom and I remember a stage, kind of like a ballroom-ish stage with some black pipe and drape curtain in the back, Salesforce logo, some stuff hanging from the ceiling. And I remember an expo hall in the room, like around the edges of the room were all the partners And there was, I don't know, 50 of them or something like that. But it was like, it was impressive because like they, they created an expo hall in a keynote room and delivered a keynote. And kind of what I remember from that is like all of those other partner booths being in the room brought a ton of energy. I remember the energy and it was a feeling of we're all in this together because the message that Salesforce was trumpeting at that time It was called software as a service, now called cloud computing. The big logo of Salesforce used to have a big no software with a red line through it. And the people that were in that room, they were part of this growing club. And that club was, we stand for the internet more than we stand for software on computers, in data centers that you pay for with people that are employed by you to run them all in all the things. Like it stood for the future. So like we were with Salesforce in spirit and we were with this movement in spirit. And then that plus the room, plus the partners brought this like energy. And what I remember, which has influenced, it influenced me for many years to come. I remember the demos. It was pretty cool because you used to not show up at a conference and see live product. You used to see like fake PowerPoint slides and stuff like that. But because Salesforce was championing this future vision that said, you can run your software on the internet I think people were like, I don't believe you. You got to show me. And so like we had to show them to make cloud computing actually real. And it just kind of obviously influenced me because like, I spent years and years and years doing demos with Salesforce. And it, it just like blew my mind because I'm like, that's how the modern software company does it. Live product, energy, partners, a whole movement. That's what I remember from 2004. And Linda, you know, coming in the next year, what was your first take of the feel and and the vibe of the room? Craig said the word um, that was so key, which was energy. However, it wasn't just the energy of the event and the design of it. It was the people. There was such an excitement. I mean, a lot of times we'll talk about how the attendees of Dreamforce, it's like a, a cult following. And you literally are seeing them stand in line for hours beforehand to get into the keynote or to register. And then now, 
with social media, they're, they're posting their pictures, their badges. They're so excited to be a part of that Dreamforce community and that energy. The conference is mostly about that energy, the people who are bringing in it and what they bring every year. So it's really about the people plus the conference. That's what makes Dreamforce special. There were celebrities too, I remember, Linda. Like right from the beginning, there was, I remember Adam Bosworth and Halsey Minor because they were kind of like tech visionaries at that time. But I remember like from the start, I remember the desire to bring celebrity to the event. I remember like the focus on the customers. Like that was a huge new thing is that like customers walked on stage and like validated the message of the software vendor. Like that had never happened before. So like there was the energy was not just like created by Salesforce. It was like the Salesforce and the partners and the crowd and the celebrities and the customers and like the whole thing. It's true. There's the tech celebrities, the people that we looked up to that pioneered the industry and what was happening. And there were also, because of the the nonprofit philanthropy element of what we do, there were a lot of people that we were working with that maybe were celebrities in the entertainment or musical world or some other world where they were building their own nonprofits to give back. And they were using the software to be able to pioneer what they were doing from a nonprofit perspective. So they were also part of our ecosystem. That was pretty special to bring all those people in the same room. And along with press, analysts, customers, celebrities, they all sat together. We didn't have like separation. They were just all part of the the audience together. That was also really different than what you saw at other conferences. It's interesting that you talk about the energy and the inspiration and how people want to be there and be part of a movement. Because I think, you know, us as marketers, we think about everything now in terms of the movement. Would you wear the t-shirt? You know, would you do those things? There's so much pride and there's always been pride around the Dreamforce lanyard and the backpack and the badges and the button that says how many Dreamforces you've been to. Like all of those things are part of this pride and it seemed to have stemmed from those early Dreamforces and talking about how SAS compounds is something, but we don't ever talk about how like events compound, right? You know, you look at how these events are kind of the the beautiful chaos of the fact that there's expected consequences and there's unexpected consequences. Like when, you know, somebody meets their husband or their wife at a conference or they meet a business partner and events can mean all of these things. And it's all of these things that make it so memorable and so remarkable. And you go home and you tell your spouse and you're like, oh my gosh, I met this person. I did this. And um, I, this is what we ate and all that stuff. And I'm curious, was that what it was like in those first early dream forces? Did you go home and just gush about the experience that you just had? Like, I, I can't believe that this is what I just went to. Well, for sure. You just mentioned something about a spouse. And so I immediately saw smiles because this brings up the story of there was a pre-show we had, which is the time before we begin our keynote. And there was a, an audience member we were interviewing and they chose that moment to propose and we had an engagement as part of our Dreamforce keynote. So um, people were really definitely bringing their personal lives in, but that's because their personal lives became something that was an outcome of having met at Dreamforce. Yeah, but you, if you think about early on in the time, you know, back in the early 2000s, you know, Craig brought it up earlier, you know, cloud computing, it was on demand back then. SaaS wasn't really a thing and it was kind of a growing club, as Craig mentioned it. And what I thought was pretty awesome was that the folks that came to this conference were people who were trying to, you know, uh, create business apps on the internet. And, you know, it's something new. So you felt like you're trying to create this industry together. And that is where a lot of people had this special feeling where they would go home and and talk about this because all of these other elements that were part of it, you know, um, the customers, the, you know, the, the internet visionaries that were there, it just felt like a cool insider club type thing. And then I think that compounded every year, you know, as it continued to grow and cloud computing grew. Yeah. For me, Ian, I changed my entire career that day. It was, I went to Dreamforce the Mark and the crew were talking about how Salesforce was a platform. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? It's like a Salesforce automation app. And I went back to my office where I was working alongside my longtime business partner, Sean Whiteley. And I said, the next day, I'm like, you got to check this thing out. 
And we logged into Salesforce and created a workflow and it sent him an email. Like I changed something and it sent him an email. And he's like, whoa, you just did that on the internet? And like, that sounds so crazy, right? But it was like so revolutionary at the time. And what ended up happening was like, we quit our jobs and we founded a company together. We were like kids and we started our first software company and we built it on sales, the Salesforce platform. It was called S-Force at the time. And like that happened the day after I went to Dreamforce 2004. So it's pretty transformational. Like whether you get married there or you quit your job because of something you saw there or whatever it is, I think everybody who's gone there from the earliest days is like kind of transformed in some way. So Craig, when you came back to work at Salesforce, did you go back for the next Dreamforce or what was that like? I can't remember the next year and I'm sure I was there, but I don't remember it. It was probably, it was like, it might, it might not have been there, but like my next experience at Dreamforce was like in sort of like Dreamforce chapter two, like Linda was talking about where it had moved to Moscone Center and the company that I had started with my co-founder, Sean, we sold the company to Salesforce. So boom, now I'm an employee of Salesforce and I show up and then like, there we are producing Dreamforce. That's the next thing I remember. It was bigger and badder and more impressive than ever. And then our challenges became different, right? Because like there was a following of the company. The number of people who showed up was not like 1,000. Like as Linda said, it was then like 4,000. And then you're like 8,000. And and then we're trying to fit into Moscone Center. So if any of your listeners don't know, Moscone Center is like the convention center in San Francisco. So it's like the biggest thing in San Francisco. It's the biggest space. It's the biggest rooms. And there are a lot of them. And the main like keynote room in Moscone Center is the biggest room in San Francisco. It holds... 14,000 people or thereabouts. And so then it became like, man, we're now in this really big space. We have to fill it out. Like a young kid growing into big clothes. It's like, we have to make it look like we're can fit inside of this size of a venue. And like, we grew through that phase pretty quickly, but it was like, that felt like a jump to me. Salesforce, and I'm working on this thing from behind the scenes and we have to make this larger than life. That's really crazy. Just thinking about that, doubling the conference. That's a, that's a huge jump. I mean, if you were to go back in time and say, um, I doubled my conference from this year to this year, uh, that's just, it's such a massive jump, you know, and it makes me think of the fact that how difficult those conversations would have to be for a CMO to talk to their CEO and say, Hey boss, I know we got a bunch of money, you know, planned to market our product, but Instead, I'm going to divert some of that money and I'm going to put a ton of it into marketing this event. And, you know, the event, it's near Q4. So I think we're going to be able to do that. But we're going to just start dumping money into into creating this event. And I know, you know, it's revisionist history to look back and say, well, of course, it was the right thing to do um, looking back now. But but back then, it does take a leap of faith. Linda's the only one on this show that actually lived through that that period. And she worked actually alongside the crew that, that like made that happen. The crew that was there for a long time that continued to grow Dreamforce at the pace that it grew at. So Linda, you're probably best suited to speak to that. Sure. It's about, it really doesn't happen by accident. It's about being intentional. It's about having a vision. Um, Something that gets said a lot by our CEO. And I know that Craig and Dan have heard this before is you're not thinking big enough. And so if you think big enough and then think bigger than that, and then you set your goals to achieve that, then you'd be surprised at how big you can make something, how exciting you can make something, how much surprise and delight you can include in it. So that was really it. We just kept moving the bar even above what we could even imagine for ourselves. And then you hit it. Linda, let's talk about the next chapter of this, the next phase, the Salesforce becoming essentially, you know, going from a a trade show, uh, an amazing trade show to literally a rock concert with actual rock bands and artists and celebrities and all that stuff. What was that kind of jump like for you? As very exciting, overwhelming, a little scary. Um, And a lot of it just has to do with where our inspiration comes from. We weren't gaining our inspiration from what was happening at other tech conferences. We're really getting our inspiration for where deep audience engagement took place. So if you think about that, you know, where a stage format would be where you had deep audience engagement, that might be um, 
a music concert or like Broadway or entertainment or something of that factor. So what we were really doing is gaining our inspiration from what was happening there. And there was a, a very pivotal moment when um, Metallica played as our Dreamforce, um, our Dreamfest performer. And our CEO was backstage with their scenic designer. And they had transformed the room from what we had um, our keynote room set up to be in the day to be something different for the band at night. And our CEO was quite inquisitive and asked a lot of questions for why. And then we learned more about what created deep audience engagement. And that's what was really inspiring our next our next design, which became an in-the-round format, where instead of putting the stage at one end of the room, we now put the stage in the center of the room, which brought everyone closer to the stage. And ultimately, when our speakers left the stage to walk throughout the audience, it gave everyone a front row experience. That was a pretty fun time. Dan remembers that too. It was like, so we just hired basically Metallica yeah. to redesign yeah. uh, how we produce uh, a enterprise software conference. We're like, yeah. And then like, you know, Linda and Dan and I are going to see uh, Kanye West and Jay-Z and then Kanye pops up from one place and appears in another place. And that's kind of like what we were taking our inspiration from as this thing kept evolving is like, how do we turn this into an entire production? It's not like a speech on a stage with some slides, which is like what enterprise software conferences had been forever. It was like a full-on multi-hour show where it was totally unexpected. Like you didn't know what was going to happen, but a lot of that stuff was actually curated, right? The the magical things that happened were like, oh my God, there's uh, Will I Am in the front row of the audience. Oh my gosh, so Will I Am. Just go ahead and stand up and say hi to everyone. People are like, what? Will I Am is a tree force? That's insane. And uh, like those moments of like keeping things going and inv- engaging the crowd and even walking off the stage into the audience, like those were all totally new things for us. And it felt like every year at every one of these things, we would try 10 things. Five of them would be good. Five of them we would not revisit. And then we'd keep those and we'd try to do the next five things the next year. It felt honestly like marketing events. Yeah. And, and I'll say, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, seeing how we were upping our level on the production side of things made you really think about up leveling, you know, our content and thinking through how do we bring more of the story into the room with the customers who are sitting in the audience and can actually place themselves in that storyline. You know, in the early days in, in the chapter one, we, we used to do demos and they were clappies, you know, where it was like, look at this feature and everyone would clap and look at this other feature and everyone would clap going, thank God you listened to me, um, Salesforce. But then in the chapter of the the rock show concert, it, we started doing more storied demos and and storied content and actually using real customers and customers that were aspirational um, that other customers sitting in the office going, I want to be like that customer. And I can see I exactly have that same problem. And, you know, showcasing that story really brought them all in. And, you know, along with the whole experience that happened in the room, um, it was pretty awesome. You say story, Dan, that's, that's so pivotal because storytelling, authentic storytelling became a huge piece of the formula, what we developed as our, our muscle memory. And we also were okay with having a bit of fun with it to make it more engaging. If it was about the, the audience and the attendees and the experience they were having and your team, the demo team that you ran at the time, y'all had the best time with demos and props and, and just having a great experience at storytelling. And you put so much thought into it and you had so many brainstorming sessions and we tested throughout the year before we got to Dreamforce. We'd always call it, Hey, we're on the road to Dreamforce. It was the idea of just like what Craig was saying about trying 10 things and five of them work, but it was always about failing fast, learning quickly, and then bringing that to the big stage once a year when we got to Dreamforce. So when you talk about failing fast, what were some of those things that you'd be like, oh my goodness, that 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 was not that was not the best thing? Go ahead and say it, Linda. <laughs> oh, I know. I Yeah, you should go ahead and say it. Yeah, yeah. Don't install a revolving stage <laughs> and not set expectations with the speaker that it will move underneath them <laughs> and they won't know. <laughs> 
I mean, we did try a lot of those, like, you know, you had toaster things where people would pop up or, you know, elements of things like that to, to bring a little bit more production, but it's, it's another, that's a whole other level of, of bringing that to software. Um, and so, you know, we definitely scaled back on that. I, I remember one year we watched during kind of this era, we watched um, Michael Jackson's This Is It, which was like yes. <clears throat> the documentary of like his final show that he was supposed to perform like 13 nights at the O2 Arena or something huge like that. And they would show the behind the scenes and there's this thing called the toaster where this is how like dancers like launch 20 feet from underneath the stage into the air and then they land on the stage. And we're like, we need stuff like toasters. We need the screen to move up and down. We just need a stage to revolve. We need to paint the room in colors. The mood has to change. Where do we get like 10,000 lights? Who can do this? And those are some things that like some of those works really well, like the mood thing and the rotating stage, not so much. I mean, I'm sure Lindo remembers the very first time we created a stage in the round but we installed, we had to figure out where all the production goes. And as it turns out, behind the stage is a huge crew of putting on the show and it's producers and it's, it's directors and you got, you got 15 camera angles and it's honestly like putting on like a, a, a show. And we were like, where do all these people go? Cause we're going to be in the round. We have to, they have to be close. And anyway, we set up this giant thing and it felt really weird. And then like, it's the night before. Dreamforce starts and we felt like we made a multi-million dollar mistake and there was no going back. And so I think we all have a lot of those, <laughs> those fun memories slash scars. Yeah. I have one more too. I'm just going to bring this up because it actually is pretty crucial to the, to the, you know, internet and cloud computing world. Yes. We are in Europe. Actually, Linda, why don't you explain it? Because I think, I mean, you were right there at the front and I was more backstage watching that happen. Oh my goodness. I don't know if I've ever said this outside of behind closed doors before. So Craig mentioned that at the time we were doing lots of demos. This was cloud computing. And it was critical that if we're going to show demos and they're going to be live to show proof of concept of cloud computing is something you can build your business on, that meant the demos had to work. When we were in venues that happened to have archaic internet or network systems where a basic browser may not be able to click to what was next. And so we happened to be in a certain venue in London and we said, what's our plan for the network? If it should go down, we should have a backup plan. And what happened was we said, all right, the physical signal will be, it was the person who was driving the demos at the time. I'll walk off stage if I see that I've lost connection. So we were like, okay, great. That's how we'll know it. It's a physical cue and we'll know to start troubleshooting it. So our CEO at the moment that we're supposed to be talking and going through the demo turns to this person at the demo desk and says, all right, let's see that in action. And the demo driver looks up and walks off the stage, which was our physical cue that the network went down, but wasn't maybe the right move in that very moment. And what you could hear was laughter going on backstage and people quickly yelling at that person, get back on stage, don't leave him hanging. But then he came back on stage, clicked on the button, and actually the internet came back by that time. So we were saved. It was one of those, it was one of those, like, thank goodness, it was the scary, I felt like that era was like the scariest time. It's some of the scariest times I can remember in my entire career, because also it was not just like the internet, like the infrastructure was, structure was evolving. We were in these different venues, even Moscone, you know, the different rooms had different like capabilities. And then like the iPhone happened. And then all of a sudden, every single person in the years to come had their phone and was consuming bandwidth. And now like the scariest thing is now you're trying to show that cloud computing works and you're trying to make the Dreamforce pipe giant. But if you shrink the pipe of, of everyone with their iPhones, they get mad at you because they can't post what they want to post on Twitter. And it's like, you're, it's like you're, you're fighting for this limited resource, which is called the cloud. And here we are preaching like cloud computing and we're like, everything has to work perfectly. So look, I think one of the things that that I learned in my career with Linda and with Dan and with so many other uh, amazing people at Salesforce who pulled this off was like, 
you got to have a backup plan. You got to have a backup plan to the backup plan. And then you have to have a backup plan to that. And you have to anticipate anything that can go wrong and you have to have a strategy for it. And like, I can't tell you, I've brought that like simple, basic concept to like the rest of my career after putting on, it's like something I learned deeply at Dreamforce that like the show must go on, everything must work. And you have to figure out a way to make it shine. And even if the internet goes out and you're preaching cloud computing, you got to figure out what to do. You're so right, Craig. And that's something that, you know, we'd often talk about is that at the end of the day, our attendees, the audience have come to see the show, to hear the stories and whatever takes place, we need to be able to complete that story. So whatever we could think of along the way where we'd need to troubleshoot what could possibly go wrong, we needed to make sure would go right. So we had a backup plan for every element to ensure that the audience would hear the story that we came to tell that day. Here's a great example. We're here at Dreamforce. It's like 29, 2009, something like that, 2010. And we're launching Salesforce's second hit product called the Service Cloud. Like it's now like a multi-billion dollar division of Salesforce, but it was brand new at the time. And we had this like message that we were trying to preach that customer service was moving to the cloud. It was not the call center, 1-800-HELP-ME anymore. It was you go on the internet, you go to Google, you go to Twitter, you source the answer to your problem on the internet. And Twitter was a huge part of that. I don't know if you remember, Twitter went through like a four-year period and it had something called the fail whale. And the fail whale was if you're using Twitter and Twitter's over servers are overwhelmed, they put up this giant picture of a whale and it said fail on it. And everyone on the internet called it a fail whale. And all of a sudden we're like, how do we showcase the service cloud if Twitter's fail whale shows up? I mean, we'll be like the laughing stock of like the whole enterprise software industry. Man, the people over at Oracle are probably going to be joking that like, you know, our service cloud like can't hack it or Twitter can't hack it. And so like those are the types of things where we're like, what happens if we get a fail whale? How do we anticipate what Twitter is going to do and, and execute the backup plan for that? It was actually, it's actually a pretty scary era of the internet's evolution. Yeah, and for the people out there, what we would do is we would actually go through the demo and, and have the click path set up in all the different tabs just in case something didn't go wrong. We can find the right tab in our click path so that it was live, but it was just a previously live clicked path. So that's how we did it. Okay, so at this point, I think we're coming towards the end of this second chapter where it is officially a rock concert. I mean, Dreamforce truly is a rock concert. And there's all the faces in the crowd, you know, oh, hey, there's the CIO of Coca-Cola or, you know, stand, please stand up and, and all that stuff. And you have a lot of these processes down. What are each of your roles in this moment in time? Like, how have you evolved to get to this point? Because for those of our listeners who don't know, you know, you were all deeply involved in different elements of Dreamforce. And Linda, obviously, uh, we'll start with you. So Craig was our CMO at the time. And... He understood how important it was from a keynote perspective. It was always, for Dreamforce keynote, it was always the biggest message we're going to deliver for those 365 days up into that point and the next 365 days. And he made an investment in three different teams. And we came together, even though we we reported different differently in the organization, we came together and I called ourselves and we called ourselves the keynote family. And it, it composed of three different groups. So it was my group that focused on production, Dan's group, which focused on demo storytelling, and then this other group led by another hitter, Al Falcioni, led our messaging team. And so the three would come together and we would ensure that we could tell that story from A to Z and that we were dialing everything in together and making that a seamless story for the attendees and the audience. Yeah, when you think about the storytelling aspect of things, it looks beautiful on stage, but obviously there's an entire team of folks that um, helped bring that together and we tested things. And I just think as as time wore on, the 
demos and um, you know the integrations and the things that we were trying to do from a technology perspective just became more pizzazzed up like and so there'd be integrations it was on the iPhone it was on every tablet I, m- I remember we called it mobile palooza was the demo where it was basically like you could do it on your desktop you can do it on your iPad you could do it on this iPad you could do it on this phone this other phone and we'd have like you know the, the whole um, myriad of devices up on on one stage and like boom and that would be our drop the mic moment but yeah the the teams have just gotten bigger and just um, as the stories and and the the show you know became bigger as well too I think the reason that we focus so much and we've talked so much actually on this episode about the keynotes is because the keynote is the message of Dreamforce. It's the message of Salesforce. It's the message of the conference. And it's the message that we want to last for an entire another year until we come back and we do it all again. And so getting the message right and the story straight and the customers right and the vision of the company, getting it all right was all the epicenter of that is the keynote. Now there's all this other stuff happening around the event. And so like Ian, to answer your question, when I started working with these guys on Dreamforce, I was kind of focused on products and product launches and stuff like that. And then at the time that you were mentioning, I was the CMO. So I owned, I felt ownership of the whole event. Not that I owned it or there were so many people doing so many things, but I felt ownership of everything. And the thing that was, we had gotten so good at what was happening in that room and the keynote and the message and how that permeated throughout the show. There were two things that were scaring me to death. One of them was there weren't enough people that could come to Dreamforce and we wanted our message to go bigger. Okay. That meant we had to bring Dreamforce to you wherever you are. And it was not just what happened on site. All of a sudden it's like, we, how do we bring this to a whole nother order of magnitude, more people that's called the live stream. And by the way, streaming content on the internet at this time, it's like so brittle, like it barely worked. Like few companies were actually doing it because you'd start a live stream and it would freeze. And it was like, all we're trying to do is it's so it sounds so basic now, but back then it was like really hard to do. And the second thing that was scaring the heck out of me was the size of Dreamforce had gotten too big. And it was like, this is like the next chapter of Dreamforce. It's like we were, people were booking hotel rooms all of a sudden, like 60 miles away. They're in like booking a hotel room in San Jose, which is 60 miles away from San Francisco, but the events in San San Francisco. and, And I came to know that right about this time. Like, are you telling me like there's no hotel rooms left in the entire city of San Francisco or the East Bay or the peninsula? Now we're putting people down in San Jose. Like, whoa, like if this is, if this is bursting at the seams and we're, and as Linda says, we're tasked with going bigger. Like, what does that even mean? I feel like that was like, like 2012, right around then. That was like a pivotal year of like, how do we go huge? What do we need to do? And then we rented a cruise ship. (laughs) Every place you look in downtown San Francisco, you see somebody has a lanyard on, somebody has a backpack on, somebody has, you know, something like that. I mean, if you've been to a big scale event, it's like that. But in San Francisco, it's it's all kind of focused in, in kind of the downtown area. So you have this just like absolutely massive, massive thing. But the other thing, which I think is an important thing to kind of bring up here as we're thinking about the bursting at the seams moment is... So you have this this massive keynote, which transitions into now multiple keynotes, which we'll get into in a second. But you also have like a million parties. You have entire, now the ecosystem of Salesforce is coming to this event. And all of the partners, it's their biggest event of the year. It's all of the developers' biggest event of the year because they're going to go to this. It's all of these people's sales teams' biggest event of the year. It's you know conveniently located at the uh, at the end of, of fall, so it's before a lot of people are sitting in Q4 or before the end of fall. So this is like a massive market mover for not just Salesforce, but the entire like software industry and all the people who partner and all the stuff. And I mean, I don't know the, the recent stats, but you know, it's roughly like $1 for Salesforce makes like the ecosystem makes four. That's like might be old data, but like somewhere in there, I mean, we're talking about a huge investment by the entire ecosystem. So it's like getting bigger is not only just like a mandate, it's like critical. I mean, to that point, Mark had really 
coined this phrase where it was like a family reunion every year um, at Dreamforce, you know, and, and when you see your customers who are selling for you, your partners are selling, your sales teams, of course, are selling. I mean, everyone, everyone's gathering together. I mean, that is just the, the compounding effect of, of when you bring people together. And I mean, it just, it exploded um, at this point. And it was, it was pretty much everyone wanted to come back because, because of the experiences that they had with Salesforce, um, because of the experience they had with the people at Dreamforce, it just became something that you couldn't miss. And that's where it, it hit another level at that point. People were wondering, what am I going to see there when I come back next year? I think this was like, okay, so I mentioned the cruise ship. We ran out of hotel rooms. So we literally docked the cruise ship to go get like 500 more hotel rooms. Right. And they're like, whoa. And then there's like a blimp and you're like, what? And then we shut down Howard street and turned it into a park and people are like, what? And then the trailhead brand evolved and we created like a national park in the center of San Francisco. And then the technology was like, so things were moving so fast. Like you probably don't remember when you, for your phone first had LTE and you could actually like use the internet fully on your phone and then became the internet of things. And then I could like unlock my door and stuff like that for my phone. And then people were like, what am I going to see from the Salesforce team this year? Like I'm going to be, you know, and Dan actually did this like during this era is like, I'm going to be like starting my car from my phone. And people are like, what? There's no way that's going to happen. That's so crazy. And so, and then Salesforce also started being a, a large acquirer. And so like it, it acquired exact target, boom, there's a marketing cloud. There's like an overnight marketing cloud. And so many of these things that would be unleashed at Dreamforce and people are like, I have to be there. Even if it's like the city bursting at the seams, I have to be there because I have to have my finger on the pulse of the future of enterprise technology. And if you weren't there, how would you like see that, right? Now that's when that whole live streaming thing came to to become a bigger and bigger piece. And, you know, Craig even mentioned it earlier. It, it started off with, it was always that in, in the keynote room, that was important. Then, you know, the next step was how do we stream it to other areas on the campus, uh, the Dreamforce campus, and have those overflow rooms. And then more and more customers wanted to see it online. It's, yeah, it started with an overflow room. So we have to somehow broadcast this thing to this other room in San Francisco where other people could watch it. It's basically like you're flying to San Francisco to watch this whole thing happen on TV. Like Linda and I and Dan would ever say, hey guys, how many people are viewing the stream right now? Because we're so engrossed in like the physical event. And, but this was like the era of the live stream. And when you go back and you look at the stats, it was like, first there was like 100,000 people on the live stream which was like huge, right? It's like as many people in person on the live stream and we're like, whoa. And then it was like 200,000 people on the live stream. Then it was like 300,000 people viewed. And then Dreamforce would be over and we'd be like, a million people were on the live stream. Like a million more people in the world participated in Dreamforce than were physically here. And that to me, and at this point in time, kind of, I'm, I, I'm no longer with Salesforce and I'm viewing it as a partner who's now attending the event as a partner, but I'm thinking like, how does Salesforce go bigger? And that became such a clear, it was so clear that that was the opportunity because you can't fit any more people in San Francisco because it's bursting at the seams, but it's so clear that millions more people want to participate in this thing than can physically be there. And then obviously that's, that's the future. But I think the thing that that kind of this era of Dreamforce showed was that the, like the demand was way bigger than anybody thought. So Linda, I'm curious, like as, as you're going through this transformation, like what are those conversations like? Like I, 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 I know a lot of friends who have worked on it. I know that the, you know, you have the, the, the Dreamforce hangover, you sit there, you come and you take two weeks off or a week off or whatever, you come back to work and then you all sit there. And and now, actually, I think it even happens before even Dreamforce starts, where you say, how are we going to make it bigger next year? So, like, what were those conversations like? Like, when you when someone said, hey, should we build a national park in downtown San Francisco? Like, what were those conversations like? There's something about the culture where you just take it on. So, there's there's not a lot of time to be overwhelmed or have fear. So, it's not how you make it bigger. 
you go into a room and you're like, all right, let's bring out all the ideas that would make this bigger. And then you just turn each one over to see what's possible and how it can work. So I, I think it's, there, there's not that, there's not that space of being, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? It's just like, all right, you guys, let's just take this on and let's go. So there's not a lot of fear. I'm curious when you had this moment, which was at the, at the beginning, Dreamforce was the, what is it? Single cam movie, right? It's like, this is one, everybody is going to see the same thing. We're all going to see the same thing. Everyone's going to have the same experience. Everyone's going to do that stuff. But, you know, by 2018, 2019, you now have so many different personas that are going to Dreamforce to do so many different things. I mean, like, again, the develop, just the, I mean, just the developer experience alone is like insane at Dreamforce. But, you know, so yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, um, when we, you know, Craig said about it, said it perfect with the innovation and we started acquiring companies, you know, back in chapter two, you had the keynote room in Moscone, the main room, and we would have two main keynotes. It was the app keynote, which was sales cloud. And then we had the platform keynote, which is the next day. And everyone would know to go to that one stage, but then, you know, in the, you know, the 2012 to 2000 chapter three era, we had now, to your point, you know, one main major keynote with all this news. And then we had a burst of like product keynotes across all of the different clouds because we couldn't fit everything into the main mark keynote. So you had the sales cloud keynote, you had the service cloud keynote, you had the marketing cloud keynote, you had the developer keynote, you had the partner keynote. And it was, it just started happening more and more where the, the different areas of the Dreamforce campus would be another stage, you know, all following the same formula. And it was just a lot for people to take on, but, you know, people would consume that information and and um, it was it was pretty incredible to see because then that's when things just exploded within the Dreamforce era of just all of those different keynotes out there. One thing we did is we also at one point divided the campus into zones. So then a persona could find their people, their place. So it just didn't feel so as overwhelming for them. And then they had a place. So they have the trailhead zone and the, the different products would have their own zone or like the different personas would have their own zone. That helped kind of break down the campus to feel like, okay, I can handle this because it is like walking into Disneyland, but then you, then you find your your one space. And you're like, okay, I'm going to Frontierland. And I'm going to spend my time there because those are where my people are. I think that what, one of the things that I saw about the the event in this era was that like it truly became more like Disneyland. Like Salesforce and the crew that was like ushering Dreamforce through this era, like they had really mastered almost everything. The logistics of the show, total mastery. Where people sat, total mastery. The speakers, the energy, and even the you built a national park. It was like that was the land thing. It's like the docents were all smiling. They all like the, the smiles on the faces of the docents like were perfected. The national park was perfected. The music, the feeling was perfected. The smell was perfected. It was like everything that is perfectly curated when you go to Disneyland, even the characters. I was going to say, even the mascots were perfected. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody loves those guys. It's like, it's so perfectly curated. It's like Disneyland, like you go to Disneyland, it's like, it's magical because it's perfectly curated. And that the experts at Salesforce got so good. It's like they had reached perfection, like by 2019. That's what I saw when I went. Well, so, so Craig, I, you know, it's so funny. And it, I think it's, this is a good point to take a beat here and think about this because that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over, you know, a 20 year journey. And it really is like how much space that you have to not have too much cramping, to be able to serve all of those meals, to do all those things, all those different things affect your experience. And the proof is in the fact that, you know, I, I don't know what it costs to go to Dreamforce in person, but, you know, 2000 bucks is sold out every year. Now it's like almost in minutes. It's so much so that Salesforce, every single sales, Salesforce employee can't go to Dreamforce anymore because there's not enough tickets. Like the idea that something could be so good that you literally can't print tickets anymore. I mean, like that is 
crazy. I mean, like it is truly like, I, I don't even think that we like collectively have talked about the fact that the idea that a trade show has turned into something that is a, a, a ticket that you could like resell online for more money is freaking insane, right? Like that's crazy. You know, I mean, I, we, I know we're talking about Dreamforce, but I think, I mean, to the mastery point and the learning, it was the Salesforce marketing team that had before Dreamforce, and Linda mentioned it earlier, what, what's, what was all the Cloudforce events. That was the old school name of that. And then it went and turned into the World Tour events where we would hit the major metro cities and and do a lot of the trials um, and, and tests to see if this piece worked here. And it was always a constant, you know, no square inch of the entire, you know, event campus was left untouched. Everyone had this planned out to a T and they would learn and test it in person and if that didn't work they would scrap it and try something new and it was it was bringing all of those learnings um you know to the big event of the year it was always the fun thing and you know mark and and the entire event team um were always encouraged to innovate and continue to think bigger as linda called out earlier too i want to make a comment on that but like there's been one of the three of us on this episode there's only been one of us who's been there the entire time, and that's that's actually Linda, right? When the only constant from beginning till now has been Linda. It's been a ride, but it's been exciting. Yeah, I, th- I think that the physical event was perfected for sure. I mean, there's so many stories to be told, but you know, one of the things that so many other CMOs have taken to their events over the years is this: the idea of the colored lanyard. And this was like an invention that somebody on Linda's team or the the event marketing team invented this. And they're like, when you go pick up your badge, there's actually different color lanyards, but the people who are picking up their badge, they don't even know this, right? And like, if your your lanyard is red, that means you're a customer. And so all the Salesforce employees can be like, thank you for being a customer. We appreciate your business. And they're like, what? Am I at the Four Seasons? Like, how do they know this, right? And if your lanyard was yellow, that meant you're part of the VIP executive program. So when someone with a yellow lanyard walked in the room, all the Salesforce employees were like, boom, right right on it. Uh, that's the guy, that's the gal, whatever it is. Right. And, and so we all kind of knew this and these are like little tricks of perfection over the years. But I think that, um, where we're going with this episode, I think the one thing was, that was like at the not perfected. Cause it was like in its earliest days was the live stream. And I kind of felt like as a viewer that of, of Salesforce live Dreamforce live, it was really great. It was super well produced, but it felt like watching NBC. You know, like you have to watch whatever is being broadcast at that time. You can't go switch rooms. You can't go to the marketing cloud track because you're just being broadcast whatever is being broadcast from the show, which was being determined by the broadcast producers, right? And then it turned into there's multiple live broadcasts, like there's a developer broadcast and a this broadcast, but it still felt like ABC, NBC, and CBS, where I have this timeline, I can watch what I want to watch, but I don't get to, it's not curated for me. And how that all works, I think that like, that's the future, right? I think we're there, obviously, right now with 2021 or whenever we want to talk about kind of the, what the future looks like in this next chapter, because I think that like Salesforce is leading the charge on that. Like we, they learned a lot from the live stream, but turning it into what it's going to become, like that's an entirely new thing. Thank you for listening to part one of our past, present and future of Dreamforce miniseries. If you enjoyed part one, you're going to love part two, where Linda Dunlap dives into the complexities of shifting the conference online and how Salesforce is blazing the trail for the future of hybrid B2B marketing events. She also drops a few breadcrumbs about what to expect at Dreamforce 2021. Part two is available now.